today on The Exam Room. Have you ever been sitting there at any time and sort of like gorging on food and not really understood why you're even eating? <laughs> you have that compulsion and you're, you're like, I don't think I'm actually hungry. I don't think I am, but I feel like I got to eat. And so you do. And, um, and you eat more junk food, which reinforces this vicious cycle. So I think it's important for people to understand that the brain and the gut are completely intertwined and connected. This is the brain-gut connection. You can't separate the two. And here's yet another example on display of the brain-gut connection and how powerful this can potentially be. And I think we've all lived through those moments of feeling obsessed, impulsive, and not really sure if we're even hungry, but we're gonna eat the food anyway because we feel like we're supposed to. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks so very much for joining us as we raise health IQs coast to coast and around the world in great cities like Charlotte, North Carolina, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and Kigali, Rwanda. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 15 of season 7, number 514 overall. And on tap today is a really sweet show about sugar and the microbiome. Specifically, the potentially not-so-sweet ramifications that a sweet tooth has on digestion. And then also, we're going to be flipping the script and talking about some healthier options that can still satisfy your sweet cravings without disrupting the 38 trillion microbiota that are floating around in your belly. And from the exam room live, a ton of great questions from the exam roomies as well, talking about refined sugar and fake sugar and natural sugar substitutes, leaky gut, fruit and bloating, harmful bacteria that is caused by sugar, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, IBS, and a ton more. And all of that coming to us courtesy of the Gut Health MD, the Prince of Poop, the Pharaoh of Fiber, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. A lot of really sweet knowledge starts right now from the Exam Room Live, a great conversation with Dr. B, the Gut Health MD. Chuck, it is too sweet to see you, my friend. Well played. Well played. If you know, you know. Well done, sir. Glad to have you here. Glad to be part of our clique. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, sugar and the gut health. Flat out, is it possible to have a really healthy gut environment and still have an enormous sweet tooth? Well, I think the current state of affairs in the United States, Chuck, is um, completely unbalanced. You can have a sweet tooth and be a healthy person if you're making the right choices and balancing it out with a preponderance, a, um, a dominant effect of the plant-based foods that contain fiber in your diet. And unfortunately, the issue that we currently have is that this is not the approach that we're taking. In fact, 95% um, if not more of Americans are deficient in their fiber intake, yet we're virtually all excessive in our sugar intake because sugar is everywhere and hidden in things that it just doesn't even make sense for it to be there, yet it is there. And this is how we get ourselves into trouble when we're excessively consuming sugar 
and completely inadequately consuming fiber, then we have a problem because then our gut bugs are feasting on the wrong food. All right. So let me ask you this. Hypothetically, if somebody were eating maybe five king size Snickers bars and then followed it up with a pound of kale, would one offset the other? Uh, no, it would not. <laughs> you can't offset five Snickers bars. And obviously with Snickers bars, there's more to a Snickers bar than even the sugar, to be honest with you. I mean, there's that's a bit you, th you threw me a little bit of a curveball there, Chuck, but um, you're still a sweet guy. I still love you. Uh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's a it's a sweet love fest here folks but um no I, you can't completely offset it what what you can do and there, there are studies where um people for example eat a western diet where i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna venture away from sugar for a quick moment just to demonstrate the effect here um there are studies where people eat sausage mcmuffins and hash browns for breakfast and they track what happens to the blood levels of something called bacterial endotoxin now, bacterial endotoxin is released when there's damage to our microbiome, damage to our gut barrier, and this toxin that you find in the inflammatory bacteria manages to cross the gut barrier into the bloodstream and activates the immune system. So this bacterial endotoxin is a tremendous problem, and it's sort of the um, classic example of what many people describe as leaky gut. And so they did this study, Chuck, where they had people consuming uh, Egg McMuffins and hash browns, and they saw that the bacterial endotoxins were like cranking up to a massive degree after that meal. And when they uh, add, added simply fiber to the meal, did it normalize the bacterial endotoxin? No, of course not. It still went up, but you were able to, what we say, attenuate. Attenuate means that you're reducing the impact. That doesn't mean that like this is not an argument in favor of eating junk food and then adding a little bit of fiber to the mix. This is an argument for us to be instead of eating those Snickers bars, moving towards something that we enjoy just as much, but is actually good for us. So and there's many examples of what that might be like I immediately have raspberries come to mind because I love them. You know, I was just talking about speaking of Snickers bars, this like popped into my head. I was just talking the other day with somebody about how much they enjoyed the recipe that you gave for the um, Snickers substitute with the date and the peanut and the, and the little chocolate morsels. And they are just in seventh heaven every time that they eat that. How would how does the microbiome react to your natural Snickers bar versus that refined thing? Are we much safer, healthier when we opt for the dates and the dry roasted peanuts as opposed to diving in for the king size Snickers with the, you know, caramel and the nougat and all of that good stuff? Well, I mean, the beauty, the beauty of the dates is that it also includes the fiber and it's a whole plant food. Now, would I sit here and advocate that you make this the centerpiece of your diet and like excessively consume dates all day? No, I would not. That's not, that's not reasonable or, or, <laughs> um, um, something that people should do. But but that being said, like if you were to, instead of taking a, 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 an actual Snickers bar and instead make my healthy Snickers bites, all you do is you take a date, all right, and of course the seed is removed or you remove the seed and you split it in half and you take that half and you wipe a smear of your favorite nut butter on that date. It could be peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, whatever it may be. And then you put a sprinkle of nice dark chocolate chips and you can add some sesame seeds to this if you like 
And the issue is when you when you have it uh, presented in this form, you get the flavor, you get the gooeyness that the caramel normally would give you from the date. You get the chocolate effect, um, obviously from the chocolate and the peanut butter or nut butter as the same thing that you get from the nuts. So in the, the end product, it's like you're tricking your taste buds because if you closed your eyes, you would think it's a Snickers bar in your mouth. But instead, what you have is something that actually contains fiber, contains a high amount of polyphenols, and is basically going to feed and fuel your gut microbiome to be healthier. Now, should we like, again, should we make this the centerpiece of our diet? No, but you eat a delicious plant-based meal. That's your lunch or your dinner. And then you follow it up with one or two of these Snickers bites. Dude, I'm in seventh heaven and you would be too. And so are your gut bugs all about them and they are delicious i mean at the end of the day that's kind of what it boils down to if you got something that's healthy and it's delicious go for it enjoy it uh let's open up the doctor's mailbag and take a question here from kathy kathy is wondering about what a lot of people would refer to as real sugar you may know it as table sugar kathy though uh, clearly has a high health iq she calls it refined sugar and she's wondering if you could elaborate on the effect that refined sugar has on our gut bacteria does it really get in there and just jack things up the way that you know this kind of nefarious picture has been painted the emerging science would say yes uh there's actually three things that i would like to talk about with this chuck um so uh remind me in case i forget number two is the cgms and number three is SIBO. okay gotcha all right cgms and SIBO. let's dive in so, um, so the interesting thing about sugar, and when we say sugar, we're really talking about refined carbohydrates. And refined carbohydrates in and of themselves are a bit unnatural um, because there's processing that's required in order to accomplish that. And so when we do that, that processing, we're breaking it down into something that's like, it previously was a part of food that was complex, included uh, uh, complex carbohydrates, which are fiber. And now what we're doing is we're extracting it and then we're breaking it into the smallest piece possible. And when you break it into the smallest piece possible, it leads to rapid absorption. And because of this, many people say, well, the gut microbiome is in the colon. Uh, It must not get to the colon. It must not affect the microbiome. And unfortunately, the reality of our research is that this is untrue. So, and here's, we're going to move through these three things, Chuck. So number one, they've done studies, by the way, many times these studies are complementary, uh, they're paired in a complementary way with unhealthy fats. So they will do this high sugar, high fat diet. And of course, in the plant-based world, we, um, we often talk about um, salt, oil, and sugar, right? And so now... There's an entire nuanced conversation there that should be had. But that being said, unhealthy fats and refined carbohydrates are problematic and not not good for our microbiome. And in animal model studies, what they have consistently found is that it has a negative effect on the gut bugs. You shift towards more inflammatory gut bugs. Because you have this negative effect on the gut bugs, it actually disrupts the gut barrier. And when you disrupt the gut barrier, you are now allowing things to cross that barrier and access the immune system. 70% of your immune system lives in the lining of your gut. And it activates inflammatory pathways. 
So this is a setup for inflammation. Now we're talking about sugar, but when we say refined carbohydrates, I think we should mention this includes flour. There are healthier forms of, fl of flour, but like to me, white flour is white sugar. There's not a profound difference between the two. Now in these studies, Chuck, they actually found that the, uh, the mice, the sugar was affecting their cognition, which is quite bizarre and weird. And I would dismiss that as, well, we're not mice, we're humans, we eat very differently, we behave very differently, and our, and our biology is different. But the problem is that actually there's human data too, Chuck, that sugar intake does affect the way that our brain functions. We become impulsive with our food choices. We become obsessed with getting more. And it blurs the line between hunger and satiety. Have you ever, Chuck, out of curiosity, before I move forward with the discussion here, I wanna, I wanna kick this back to you. Have you ever um, been sitting there at any time, you know, this could have been 10 years ago, but have you ever been sitting there and, and sort of like gorging on food and not really understood why you're even eating? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was the compulsive obsession. And I remember even being pulled and called to it, even when I knew that I wasn't even really hungry. You know, this, I famously talk about just like I had to have it. And that was all that my brain knew at that point. This is what I'm talking about. And they've actually shown that sugar is one of the things that can have this effect is not only making us impulsive, compulsive, but also making us confused about whether we're even hungry at all. So then you do, you have that compulsion and you're, you're like, I don't think I'm actually hungry. I don't think I am, but I feel like I got to eat. And so you do. And, um, and you eat more junk food, which reinforces this vicious cycle. So I think it's important for people to understand that I just mentioned how sugar affects the gut. Now I'm talking to you about how sugar affects the brain and the brain and the gut are completely intertwined and connected. This is the brain gut connection. You can't separate the two. And here's yet another example on display of the brain gut connection and how powerful this can potentially be, not just in mice, also in us humans. And I think we've all lived through those moments of feeling obsessed, impulsive, and not really sure if we're even hungry, but we're going to eat the food anyway, because we feel like we're supposed to. Okay. All right. Number two, before I do CGMs, let me, let me do SIBO. Um, Chuck, SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, is this condition where people have an excessive growth of bacteria in their small intestine. Now we could talk about this, like unpack this in great detail. This could be an entire episode. It's complex. It's nuanced. There's a lot to this, but if I were to really boil it down, it's actually pretty straightforward what's going on. You have disruption and damage to the gut microbiome and we would call this dysbiosis. Um, dysbiosis is our term that really we're kind of saying the same thing as leaky gut, but this is what a scientist would say. It's dysbiosis. And that's what's happening with SIBO. And it affects these bacteria that are growing in an in inappropriate way in your small intestine. Scientists ask the question, what causes SIBO? And how can we protect ourselves from SIBO? This was, by the way, published in the journal Nature Communications and um, completely changed my mind about several things when it comes to this condition. And what they found was that people who consumed more refined carbohydrates, including sugar, 
were actually at much higher risk for SIBO. And those who were consuming higher amounts of complex carbohydrates, like fiber, were at much lower risk for SIBO. And this is something for us to be aware of, that number one, here are the takeaways. Uh, in the ex excessive intake of refined carbohydrates and inadequate intake of complex carbohydrates induces dysbiosis. This is part of the point of the study. But the other part of the point of this study is that when a person actually has SIBO, and I'm guessing that some of the people who are here with us right now have had this, have had this condition or know someone who has this condition, conventional training, conventional teaching is to cut your fiber intake because fiber causes bloating. All right. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you miserable. This doesn't mean that you should eat all the kale in the entire world, but there's a way in which you should be introducing fiber because fiber is necessary in order to restore the gut to an appropriate balance. Um, so I think this is one of the key sort of takeaways here is that this world that we live in with too much sugar and not enough fiber, it's a problem. And we're seeing study after study in their own unique ways, including SIBO, demonstrate this to us in terms of the effect on the gut microbiome. Anything you want to talk about there, Chuck, or should we move on to my, my third thing? Um, I think that we should actually do an entire episode devoted to SIBO. And what I've learned recently is that there are multiple forms of it. And the testing is not necessarily always 100% accurate. Uh, there are some that it works better on than others. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think that a lot of people probably suffer from it that don't even realize uh, that that's what's going on. And I know it's also difficult to diagnose. I don't think that a lot of gastroenterologists, at least in my experience, go to SIBO straight away either. So so um, let's save that for a whole other show, man, because there's a there's a whole lot to get into. And I'm pretty sure right now the chat and the people who are listening to the podcast are just like, yes, SIBO special. Bring it on, boys, because that's what we need in our lives. Cool. But yeah, let's let's talk about CGMs, though, uh, before we move on to uh, the next question. So okay. you wanted to mention CGMs. Talk to us. Yeah, I do. Before I mention CGMs, let me uh, just say real quick, I want to show this mug right here. This is my son, Liam. You can see his name. 2021 and i just want to platform my son for some beautiful artwork that i'm very proud of to share on the show with all the good people Atta here boy liam so, well done sir well yes, done yes yes hopefully he's downstairs tuning into the exam room along with everyone else you should share it with your kids people that's it man that's it um all right so uh cgms here's where it gets interesting chuck so you remember I mentioned that like there's this theory that people have had where they're like a, a little bit like resistant to accept that sugar could affect the microbiome because sugar is absorbed. So it never gets to the small and gets down to the colon where the microbes live. So um, so we should just assume that it's totally fine. No issue there. Right. OK. The fascinating thing about this is that, I mean, I think we all know when you eat a diet that's high in refined carbohydrates and low in fiber, you spike your blood sugar. And this is where these like continuous glucose monitors, which by the way, including with Zoe, I'll mention a little more on this in a moment. Um, like Zoe is more than just the CGM, but this is where the continuous glucose monitors come into play because they can measure this. And what's fascinating, Chuck, is that they've discovered that your blood sugar actually impacts gut barrier function. So when you consume sugar, it's not that the sugar is necessarily feeding the bacteria in your colon. In fact, um, part of what's happening 
is because there's an immediate rise in your blood sugar, that immediate rise in your blood sugar is actually breaking down your gut barrier, disrupting it. And then you're, and then it's basically putting you in a metabolic and immune, um, uh, uh, position of injury. Okay. So it's messing up your metabolism and your immune system because you're basically disrupting your gut barrier with this high blood sugar. So now this is fascinating because Zoe has done separate independent research on over 4,000 people where they looked at, these are by the way, people who do not have diabetes because there are some who say, well, you should only use a CGM in a person who has diabetes. Blood sugar does not matter in people who do not have diabetes. And the problem with that argument is like, I'm, I'm arguing right now that high blood sugar in a person without diabetes disrupts the gut barrier. So yes, it is a problem. And actually it's interesting, Chuck, because what I'm saying is that when the gut barrier is intact, it helps you to have a strong metabolism. And when you break down the gut barrier, it actually impairs your metabolism. And in our research at Zoe, we've actually found exactly that. So we have 4,000 people and we looked at their CGM tracings and we saw when they basically went out of bounds on their CGM tracings. And what we discovered is that the people who go out of bounds and excessively high on their blood sugar in a normal population, they don't have diabetes. These are people that have higher cardiovascular risk over the next 10 years. Meanwhile, those who keep it uh, tight are ones who have lower cardiovascular risk. Now, that's not to say that there's not more nuance to this. There is. But I think that like what we're seeing here are different pieces of evidence that are all pointing in the same direction. And this is how we come to consensus in terms of the way that the body works. All right. Uh, let's get to some more here, man. That was a nice in-depth answer to kick things off, man. That, that was amazing. Um, good deals. All right. So we've talked about real sugar or table sugar or refined sugar and refined carbohydrates. But now let's switch over to what a lot of people assume are healthier alternatives because a lot of times zero calories in these things. Melissa, also with a high health IQ here today. How about this? How does the frequent use of artificial sweeteners influence the composition and function of the gut microbiome? Can we get her some continuing education credits just for writing the question like that? That is well done, Melissa. Amazing. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, and I think it's interesting because there's an entire debate that exists around artificial sweeteners. And that's because some people who are like all about calorie counting, which I am not, they love artificial sweeteners because from their perspective, if you eliminate sugar and replace it with an artificial sweetener, you are reducing your caloric intake and that can help you to potentially lose weight. And the problem is that there has been um, evidence that started to emerge about 10 years ago but yet the drumbeat is picking up and getting louder and becoming increasingly clear that artificial sweeteners disrupt and damage the gut microbiome and actually leave our metabolism impaired as a result of this. People who consume artificial sweeteners at that particular meal because that sweetener is not absorbed, their blood sugar may be under better control. The problem is that at their next meal, whatever carbohydrates are in that meal, they're going to spike their blood sugar because the artificial sweetener has now affected their metabolism. So the concern from my perspective is that artificial sweeteners impair and damage the gut microbiome. By impairing and damaging the gut microbiome, they're impairing and damaging the gut barrier. And we impair, as we have just mentioned in the last five minutes, when we impair and damage the gut barrier, we actually are impairing and damaging our metabolism and our immune system. And that is where the concern with artificial sweeteners currently exists.
All right, let's see what else we got here today. We got a lot of great ones here. When I mentioned we were going to talk about sugars, like, boom, man, my email just got flooded, just like the chat room right now. Ding, uh, ding, ding. What's that? Ding, ding, ding. Ding, so ding, ding. I going mean, off. It just, I, I really, I had to put my phone in the other room just because it kept vibrating even. It's like you turn the sound off and bzz, bzz, bzz. Why? Because people love them some sweets. Uh, Pete is one of those people. Pete is wondering what sugar substitutes, though. Speaking of sugar substitutes, what are some that could actually be a little bit healthier for the microbiome? A lot of people might be leaning towards stevia in this arena. Highly debatable. Highly debatable on stevia. There's some evidence that it's actually harmful to the microbiome. Um, so it's hard for me to sit here and say that we should just uh, grab stevia and make it our go-to, you know, um, if I, if I'm forced to, I would create a hierarchy. Now, let me say that when I drink my coffee, I drink it black 10 years ago, or maybe a little more than 10 years ago, maybe, maybe 12, uh, it was three Splendas per coffee, multiple coffees per day. Okay. Um, that was not good. That's part of the reason that I was 50 pounds overweight. Now, um, if I'm forced to, I would create a hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy, I would put versions of whole plant foods that are naturally sweet. So to me, that starts with things like berries. Like you can eat them whole as a snack. You can freeze them. They're quite delicious. Um, but you can also like mash them and even like mash them and heat them to create almost like a uh, compote that you can put over your pancakes or something like this, all right, as a substitute for maple syrup. So I start with the fruit at the top that includes dates, by the way. Um, and then like just below that, I would put things like applesauce as an example. Um, and then as we move down beyond that, um, the problem with like, for example, maple syrup and honey is that although it does contain some polyphenols, which may be beneficial, it's still really just massively refined sugar, refined carbohydrates. So it starts to get quite debatable in this place. Um, I don't want to sit here and advocate for monk fruit, making it sound like we should seek out monk fruit in our life. But I think that there is a reality that there's going to be like, we're all going to want to sweeten certain things when we consume them. And I tend to favor monk fruit. And that's based upon Limited evidence, admittedly, limited evidence, but evidence that indicates to me that that monk fruit actually has an antioxidant effect and may be beneficial to our gut microbiome. So that's what I tend to favor when we're getting into sweeter, uh, sweetener alternatives. I would put the monk fruit above the stevia. I would put the stevia one one rung down from the monk fruit. Um, and, uh, and then like as we get towards the bottom, that's where I put the artificial sweeteners and like uh, refined sugar. Alternatively, what are the ones that we should absolutely be avoiding at all costs? Pete's wondering about that as well. I mean, I think it's the artificial sweeteners from my perspective. Um, you know, a, a quick example. So we, we've already mentioned how they disrupt the microbiome. Um, if you came to my clinic, not you personally, Chuck, but like, but, or Pete, maybe it's Pete. Pete comes to my clinic and says, Hey doc, I'm having uh, chronic diarrhea. Probably the first question that I'm going to ask them is, um, do you consume dairy and do you use artificial sweeteners? 
And if the answer to the question is yes, with artificial sweeteners, yes, I drink diet, a Diet Coke every day. Eliminate Eliminate that. And let's see what happens. And you would be shocked at how many people who have chronic diarrhea are actually better. You know, that reminds me, I mean, I was just dumb in high school. A lot of us were by no fault of our own. We were just young and stupid. We used to do this thing called the certs challenge, where could you eat an entire pack of certs without having to go to the restroom and spend some time uh, on the throne there? So, uh, I'm guessing then it would have been the artificial sweeteners in those breath mints that were causing the trots, correct? Gosh, that is, that is a blast from the past. I haven't thought about certs. Are they even around anymore? I have no idea. I just remember loving those things because you could bite down into them in a dark room and see the spark. And I thought that that was the coolest thing. Wow. You know, and so why? I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't I don't know, know that. The science. Yeah, dude. But, uh, but what I do know is that, you know, 20 certs are better than one until you have to, you know, make your run. And then you had a little bit of H-E double hockey sticks to pay. So, uh, stupid us in high school, but I'm assuming though, whatever they sweetened it with was probably what was causing us to ditch class there for a few minutes. Yeah. I don't remember what was in certs instead of this, in terms of the sweeteners, but I do, I do think that like this kind of exposes these general ideas of why, why there are concerns there. That's a whole other show, the dumb stuff that we did in high school. Has nothing to do with anything that we usually talk about here on the show. Oh, gosh. Uh, interesting question from Jenny. Uh, let's talk about the naturally occurring sugar that is found in fruit. Jenny says that sometimes yeah. when she eats fruit, she gets all kinds of bloated. So what might be going on there? Yeah. Well, so first of all, before we address the actual bloating, which isn't necessarily indicative of... of um, the fruit causing any harm to your body. There's some, there's potentially a very clear, reasonable explanation for this. Um, let's start with the fact that, um, to me, the vilification of fruit is insane. It makes absolutely no sense because when people consume fruit, they reduce their risk of diabetes. And if anything, from a weight perspective, they lose weight provided they are not going completely ridiculous and overboard. On consuming fruit. So, I mean, I'm not a believer in a fruitarian diet where all you eat is fruit all day. I'll just be upfront about that. There's there's many forms of plant-based or vegan diets that I would never advocate for and say that they're healthy just because they contain plants. That's you know, that's a bit crazy. But anyway, fruit is in fact healthy and good for us. It's part of a balanced, healthful diet. It contributes to the diversity within our diet, and diversity, of course, is how we feed and fuel our gut microbiome. The problem is that fruit, most of the time, is going to contain fructose. Um, it could be other stuff, but fructose is the classic. And the presence of fructose in its native state within fruit does not mean that it's implicitly bad. It is not. But there are people who struggle to process and digest fructose. And this is called fructose intolerance. It's a form of food intolerance. And this is actually under an umbrella that exists called FODMAPs, FODMAP intolerance. FODMAPs includes fructose, which you find in fruit, and um, lactose, which you, of course, find in dairy, and fructans, which are different. They're not fructose. Fructans, which you find in wheat, barley, rye, and, um, and also garlic and onions, um, and also galactans, which you'll find in legumes, and then finally, um, polyols, which are uh, sugar alcohols that can naturally occur sometimes in fruit or also be artificial sweeteners. 
So anyway, fruit, the fructose may be causing bloating because this person has fructose intolerance. The process to overcoming and, and healing this is actually through the gut microbiome. And there's a number of ways that you can do that, but it starts first with moderation of your intake of fruit. So don't eat too much at one sitting and ease your way into it because over time your body will become more adapted and more uh, efficient at processing and digesting it. So let me ask you this then. Walt has an interesting follow-up wondering whether a ripe banana could affect the microbiome gut health a little bit differently than a green banana. Uh, obviously, the riper ones are going to be much more sweet, so I'm assuming that's going to come into play here for it. Yeah, as a banana ripens, there's a natural movement away from um, more complex polysaccharides and starches towards more um, broken-down, refined uh um, sugars and starches. And this is why a ripe banana is so sweet. And in some cases too sweet, especially when it's brown. Um, but when it's green, it's not nearly as sweet. And it's also much more rigid and hard and requires more chewing. And that's because that green banana actually contains resistant starches. And those resistant starches, you can think of them as great forms of fiber because they're technically not fiber, but they behave in the same way, which is that they are not digested by the human intestine. They travel down to the colon and in the colon, the microbes actually consume them and transform them into uh, short chain fatty acids. So um, anyway, that's the beauty of a green banana. And when I'm given the choice, if I can palate it, I would rather consume the green banana, such as if I'm making a smoothie, then I tend to favor more on the green side and certainly not on the brown side. Yeah, man, but those ripe bananas, they just taste better to me at the end of the day. I hear you, and I know there's a lot of- Well, it's not a bad thing. Bananas. I'm not arguing that ripe bananas you should not eat. I would certainly would not argue that, right? I think that there's I think there's a place for eating bananas. And again, it's, it's part of like incorporating them in a diet that includes other stuff too. I know sometimes though, if I go overboard with a banana in a smoothie and I make like three super sweet bananas in there with, you know, kale and, and cacao and uh, black beans, you know, my, my usual chocolate smoothie that I love so much, blueberries, strawberries. Um, I, I noticed that I, I will get some heartburn in there though. Um, only when I add that extra banana and maybe it's because there's just a little bit too much of that, that sweet, sweet in there. And it's just messing with my gut gut. I don't know. You said there were kids watching, so I'm just trying to make some fun words up. <laughs> it's for the kids out there. It is, man. Rated G for good. Uh, all right. Let's talk about leaky gut. Michael has a question wondering a high sugar diet can contribute to the development of leaky gut syndrome. What do you yeah, think, Dr. B? A hundred percent. I mean, this is this is what we saw in our conversation between both the um, the layers of evidence that apply to to mice and what they see in the mouse models to SIBO and the fact that in humans they have demonstrated that um, uh, small bowel dysbiosis takes place when people consume more sugar. And, uh, and finally the use of the CGM and the fact that when we have high blood sugar spikes as a result of, uh, sugar in our diet, that it actually can disrupt our gut barrier, which is leaky gut. So yes, I think that the sugar is clearly a contributor. Uh, David wondering kind of the same thing, IBS. I mean, we were just talking about <laughs> the, the cert challenge. Um, so I would assume kind of the same can be said for IBS in this case. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, not the C IBS and CBO are not necessarily the exact same thing, but we are talking on the same sort of spectrum of like the root cause is the same. 
All right. Uh, let me see. What else do we have here? Ooh. All right. Do you want a, a 301 level question? Because Jason's bringing the heat, man. I just got to get you mentally prepared for this one. Come at me. All right. Here we go. I want it. I want it. It's teed up. Jason, in what ways does sugar impact the production of function of short chain fatty acids in the gut? 301. Jason, going for the master's degree. Dude, I'm dunking on this. This is, this, this is, it's quite clear that sugar actually reduces the production of short chain fatty acids. And the reason why is because sugar itself does not, it would never produce short chain fatty acids one way or the other. But the problem is that sugar actually disrupts and damages the gut microbiome. And in the process of doing this, there's a skew away from the gut bugs that produce short chain fatty acids and towards the ones that do not. And so the problem with this skew that's taking place is that then your next meal, you get back on track, you go to consume fiber. That's great, but you're not going to get as many short chain fatty acids from that fiber as you would have had if the last meal did not have the, um, the sugar. So Chuck, it kind of brings up an interesting uh, concept called the second meal effect. Have you heard of the second meal effect? Talk to me about the second meal, my friend. Okay, so the second meal effect, which is most commonly attributed to the intake of legumes, and that's because legumes are microbiome foods, um, high in fiber, resistant starches, and polyphenols. But but really, this effect is not just legumes. It could be other plant-based foods that have fiber, resistant starches, and polyphenols. Um, what they found is that when you consume, for example, lentils at, let's say, lunch, that it will actually impact your blood sugar at the next meal. So what they did in these studies is they varied what people had at lunch. One person had the, um, had the lentils and someone had something else. And then they would feed them the same dinner and see different effects because of what you had at lunch, even though they're eating the same meal at dinner. And if we start to think about this in a circular way of how these things all feed back into one another, that's quite fascinating because not only does the fiber and the resistant starches help you to control your blood sugar at lunch, but the fact that it improves your blood sugar at dinner based upon what we have been discussing here today, Chuck, in terms of blood sugar control and the effect on the gut barrier, that basically means that there is a lasting effect that starts to carry forward of protecting your microbiome beyond that first meal. So the second meal effect is blood sugar related, but I would argue it's also microbiome related. The second meal. All right, man. We're learning. And it's the short chain fatty acids. It's the short chain fatty acids, specifically propionate, that are responsible for that. So it's it's it truly is the fiber and resistance starches. I love you, man. We just threw a three oh one level question at you and you're like, I'm dunking on this. I got Dude, this. I love come this. Come at me. Come Dude, at me, bro. I'm not playing in your paint. I want it. I I'm want not, it. I, like I can't challenge. play in your paint, man. I can't play I like in your the paint. challenge. I know you do. All right, Jason. You step it up next time, buddy. I want four oh one level. Let's go, buddy. Uh, all right, all right. We uh, just talked about uh, IBS and leaky gut. Ashley is wondering: uh, Is that kind of the same when you're eating a lot of sugar for Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis? Does the risk go up there as well? Yeah, I think it does. I think that the issue is that it increases the risk of having a flare. And you know, the challenge that um, people with these conditions have is that they have a very deep dysbiosis, meaning very damaged gut microbiome. So they struggle to process and digest complex polysaccharides like fiber. Um, and that's, that is the challenge or problem that we have for these particular people is that we, we ultimately want to restore 
a healthy gut microbiome. These conditions, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, they are actually microbiome diseases. Believe it or not, it's a little bit weird. We no longer think of them as being autoimmune. Um, because truly autoimmune means that your immune system is attacking your own body. Your immune system is not attacking your own body in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. It's attacking your microbiome. Your immune system has decided that your microbiome is the enemy and is rejecting it. So we want to restore a friendly, healthy microbiome that your immune system will be like, oh, there's my old friend. I don't need to attack you anymore. Um, and the way that we accomplish that is with dietary fiber and reducing our sugar intake. It's just the challenge of getting there. It takes time. All right. And let's end with kind of a fun question. I, I'm a little bit nervous about asking. These ones haven't this one. been fun. These ones haven't been fun. They, Come on. they have been, man. But I think that this is this is like this next clip, I can guarantee you, is going to get pulled and isolated and put up on reels and, you know, Facebook and all that good stuff. Oh, dear. Um, Here we go. And it's just kind of a lesser. Now I am nervous. Evils. Now I am nervous. But, because look, I the old me would have interpreted this question as, well, I'm just going to choose the lesser of two evils and go with that because I would then convince myself that at least that is a healthier option than the other. And as long as I can somehow finagle the word healthy into my thought process, it's going to be okay. So with that preface, Kevin is wondering, are sodas worse than sweet foods for microbiome and gut health? So does it matter whether it's a liquid or a cupcake? What, what would your expertise say there? You know, the issue with sugar-containing beverages and also um, sweetened, uh, artificially sweetened beverages is that there's just nothing, there's no brakes on the car. It's just straight gas. And that's the problem with them, is that you have nothing to slow down the uh, introduction of these sugars and artificial sweeteners into the body. Um, whereas sweet foods, you know, <laughs> there's different versions of sweet foods and they could potentially be great for you sweet foods could be a bowl of berries sweet foods could be um a mango or uh a snickers bite um or uh, nice cream um or dark chocolate and all of these things actually are good for the microbiome so let's not vilify sweets. You are allowed to enjoy sweet food and you also are allowed to not be perfect because none of us are, including myself. But given the choice, when we're choosing between one or the other, um, I prefer to opt for the stuff that's beneficial to my body and also uh, satisfies my sweet tooth. So I'm going for that list of foods that I just mentioned. Yeah, but you know what? My gut here says that Kevin's probably not thinking about a Snickers bite that's in the fiber fuel book. I think Kevin's probably thinking about a regular Snickers bar or a uh, slice of white sheet cake or something like that. Um, obviously, maybe a trace of fiber in the sheet cake, a little bit more in the Snickers uh, with the peanuts. Uh, would that still make them healthier options than a regular Coca-Cola? Because there's even just a little bit of brakes on that on that car. I mean. Uh... I, that, that, I suppose this is it, man. That, yeah, that's, I suppose. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't want to sit here and say um, that there's no place for cake. That's not that's not accurate. And like when it's my kid's birthday, guess who's eating cake? You better believe it. <laughs> you better believe it. You better believe it. I like but am honesty. I eating cake every week? Am I eating cake every week? Absolutely not. 
right? Because I have alternative choices that I can make my more steady, consistent thing. A one-off is not a big deal. It's yeah. just when you make it a consistent choice. And if we're making a consistent choice, then I say, no, get that garbage out of here to both of those. And instead, let me replace this with something that's going to be better for me. So if it's soda and I want that carbonation, let me have a little bit of kombucha with mostly water. Um, and if I and if it's uh, a sweet tooth like that, then we've already talked about a lot of the choices that are alternatives. But what happens like if you don't eat the cake all that often and you are the kind of person that can just have it once in a while and not have to go back to it again and again and again? Like, does your microbiome, like once you eat that slice of cake, does it wonder like, what the frig is this? Like, this is so different. Okay. So uh, this this we're coming full circle here. We're coming full circle here, Chuck. If you eat the cake, I think we all know. You feel great for about 30 seconds, right? And it's enough to like make your eyes bulge out of your head a little bit and be like, yo, this is what I've been missing. Welcome back. And that's that part of your brain that gets activated by these refined carbohydrates that makes you impulsive and compulsive and confused about whether you're even hungry or full, right? But for 30 seconds, it's glorious. And the problem is then you spend the next three hours um, with no wind in your sails, low energy, feeling like trash. And you're wondering what might that be? And it's not purely a blood sugar effect, although it can be that your blood sugar dipped too far down. That can be part of it. But Chuck, it's also that I'm of the belief based on what we've been discussing today, that you have disrupted your gut microbiome and now you are paying the price of a disrupted gut microbiome that's going to basically be leaking uh, endotoxin into your blood for the next few hours. So, and it's the same effect that you see with alcohol and other things like this that do the same thing. Right on. There you go. Asked and answered. Uh, let me ask you this as we wrap up here. Uh, 38 Terra, the launch went phenomenally well. Uh, that's got just a, a little bit of sweet in there. Are you using monk fruit there to, to bring in a little bit of a pop of the sweet there? Or what's, what's the sweetener? Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of monk fruit in 38 Terra, um, so the, the daily microbiome nutrition. And, you know, and part of that is just accomplishing a flavor profile that people love because ultimately what I want is I want them to elevate their gut microbiome through consistent daily use. That's what the product is designed for, consistent daily use. Because when you do this on a once a day basis, it's like a multivitamin for your gut microbes and you're building a health habit. And this is how we snowball into momentum of a healthier gut. So now the monk fruit, the reason why it's in there of among all the choices that are available is that again, when I reviewed the monk fruit among those choices, it's the preferred choice because it seems to have an antioxidant effect that's beneficial to the gut bugs. What, does that mean I want you to seek it out? No, absolutely not. But in this sort of context, it makes a lot of sense. There you go, man. And I know that um, you guys completely sold out of 38T already, but there's a wait list. People can go to 38terra.com, I believe, and get on the wait list for when everything has been replenished. Yeah, we are a small company and just getting started. Like many times, for example, if you go to 38terra, our social media, you're probably talking to me <laughs> many times. Um, and so we are a small company. We're just getting started. The demand was amazing. And I'm very grateful for my community and supporters who are interested in this. And I sincerely believe that this is going to be um, something that really helps uh, a lot of people out there who need this. So to me, this is a um, 
version 2.0, version 3.0, whatever you want to call it, this is a higher version of the fiber supplements that have been out there. And it's completely gut microbiome targeted for beneficial effect. That's the way that I formulated it. I formulated it myself. I'm very proud of it. And um, so for those who are interested, just know like we're taking steps to address the demand for this product. I think it's wonderful. Unfortunately, I can't fulfill for everyone right now. I wish I could. So join the priority list. And when the time comes, we'll make sure to get this to you so you can try it out and hopefully with great beneficial effects for you. There you go. 38terra.com. There's a link down below in the show description and in the episode notes. Before we go real quick, Chuck, I think you know what I want to do. Can I get your hand up? Let's bring it in. We'll do it together. This show has been too sweet. <laughs> if you know, then you know. Dr. Will Bolsowitz, you are the best, man. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks, everyone. Great to see y'all today. So we were talking about this during the show, just how much as a society we love sugar. I mean, love it. So how much sugar are you eating? Well, if you are the average person, it would be 57 pounds of added sugar every year. That is the equivalent of 17 teaspoons per day or 71.14 grams to be specific. Now let's talk calories from that. At four calories per gram, that is 103,864 calories. I will say that again, 103,864 calories, but this is a leap year. So let's make that actually, let's tack another day on there. 104,149 calories. And that my friend is 52 full days worth of calories just from sugar. 52 days on the calendar, the caloric totals taken up exclusively by sugar. How about that? That is a whole lot of sweet that is going to sour your health, it sounds like. But no surprise either. No surprise either because studies show that sugar can be as addictive as nicotine and cocaine. And like I said earlier, and this is definitely a point worth revisiting, cigarettes come with a warning label. Cocaine is illegal, but there is no such barrier at all to accessing sugar. Sugar is sold by the truckload and celebrated. I mean, hundreds of sweets at any given time are on sale at any given grocery store in the world. We get indoctrinated to the sweet stuff at a very young age. And it's an addiction here that we carry with us then the rest of our lives. And a lot of us don't even realize it. But I am glad, I am so glad that we were able to get to the bottom of the sugar solution today in terms of our gut health. Some great nuggets from Dr. Bolsowitz today. And so I look forward to speaking with him again next month here on the show. Definitely. Kind of puts sugar in a new light, doesn't it? Now let's turn the page and talk about a health revolution. Nay, my friends, a power foods 
revolution, one that is coming to the nation's capital on March 26th. And you can join me, Dr. Neil Barnard, along with Chef Dustin Harder, the incredible weight loss story that is Stephanie Ignafo. We're all getting together at the National Press Club, along with hundreds of other exam roomies. We're going to be taping an episode of the show and celebrating the release of Dr. Barnard's new book, The Power Foods Diet. And with every ticket comes a copy of the book. So you just show up, we're gonna put a copy of the book in your hands. And tickets are on sale right now at pcrm.org events, or you can click the link in the episode notes to get yours right now. I guarantee it is going to be a night filled with laughs and learning and inspiration. But the big takeaway will be discovering the breakthrough plan that we have been waiting for for our entire lives. The plan that traps and tames and burns calories for easy and permanent weight loss. Easy and permanent weight loss. Things that don't ordinarily go together, but we are going to put them together for you on March 26th. So head over to pcrm.org events or click the link in the episode notes to get your tickets today. We hope to see you there. The National Press Club, Washington, D.C., March 26th. Again, pcrm.org events or click the link in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Will Bolsowitz, the gut health MD, the pharaoh of fiber, the prince of poop, for being here and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always... Keep it plant-based.